Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Green Party leader Eamon Ryan joins me in studio to discuss some of the key issues likely to dominate this summer's local and European elections. Also on the programme, the Taoiseach defends his decision to attend the White House on St. Patrick's Day, despite calls from pro-Palestinian groups to boycott the event over Gaza. I think the opportunity of going to the White House uh, is an opportunity for me as Taoiseach to uh, share the views of the Irish people uh, with the US president in relation to this matter. Um, And I don't see why we pass that up. So should other Irish politicians follow suit or should they decline their invitation in protest over the failure by the US to call for an Israeli ceasefire? And the DUP backs a deal to restore power sharing in the north with Stormont returning as early as this week. Twenty twenty four is shaping up to be a big year at the polls with local and European elections this summer and the possibility of a general election before the year is out. In the meantime, government parties have two referendums to navigate while addressing the twin issues of immigration and the housing crisis. I'm joined in studio by by Green Party leader Eamon Ryan. Minister, you're very welcome along to the programme tonight. Um, I want to go to the Green portfolio of of integration first because we've, of course, seen from weekend polls and recent polls in general that there's a rising interest among voters on the issue of immigration. And you were in the Dáil today commenting on the decision by the Cabinet to approve an updated and extended list of safe countries with Algeria and Botswana now added to that list. Why this decision now? Because it leads to a better system, better managed. It leads to quicker decision making. People who are in those countries looking for asylum and they are entitled to will get a quicker decision. And it's based on international evidence from the European Union and other agencies. And it's a 10 week turnaround and and that will help. Um, It's based on the evidence. uh, A lot of the cases currently, people who might be looking for asylum from those countries aren't approved. So it's not just done on a whim. It is calculated. It's done on the base, okay. best analysis. And it'll help us in a difficult times. We have had to provide for 100,000 mm-hmm. people in the last two years. That's unprecedented. It's never happened before. 75,000 accommodation from Ukraine, 25,000 from international protection. It'll help us manage All that right. flow. OK, because there could be a perception that this is reactive, an e-jerk move where countries deemed unsafe yesterday are now deemed uh, safe today. What do you say to that? Well, there are other countries. There's a list of eight other countries mm. who are on similar list. Yeah, but Obviously, specifically this decision and the timing of this decision. I mean, was it a long time coming? There's a continuing. I mean, this whole issue about how we manage providing protection to people to our country has dominated in the last two to three years since the war started in Ukraine, but also 
a very significant rise. About two or three years ago, we were seeing maybe three and a half thousand people a year mm -hmm. coming seek protection. It's risen to about 13,000. That's the same across Europe. We're not yeah. unusual. We have on average the same number of applications as other European countries, but it has risen, in partly because we're in a world which is in greater turmoil, right. more conflict. And, and so, of course, it, it's, it's an ongoing issue that you have to review, change and, and make sure we can manage to meet our All obligations. Right. Uh, are you confident that the threshold has been reached with regard to these countries because we heard concerns from the Irish Refugee Council, um, among others, on this today? that they're not sure that the threshold has been reached for those two countries in well, particular to be deemed safe? You'd continue to review it. And as I said, it's not denying someone the right to seek asylum and to present the evidence. And if the evidence shows that they do need protection, well, obviously... Not if it's they, a safe country. No, they still have the potential of getting protection in those circumstances. Okay. It's less likely. And, but certainly the key thing in this is you want to make quicker decisions. We've doubled the number of people in the International Protection Office in the Department of Justice because we recognise that slow decisions mm -hmm. here are not good for anyone, mm -hmm. not good for people seeking protection, not good in terms of the, the estate having to provide a, a, accommodation. So the key decision here was around managing the system so that we meet our international obligations, but we do so in a way that's fair and quicker, which is better for everyone. All right. Uh, again, the decision to restore chartering of deportation flights, um, they were in, in place pre-COVID. Uh, now they are back um, uh, and, and, they're, and they're, you know, uh, there's, there's tendering out for them. How long was that decision in the making? Again, the Department of Justice manages that. And we've always had that capability. That's not something new. As I said, COVID interrupted a lot of procedures. It isn't the most common approach. They're commonly, people do... Uh, if they are told to leave the country, they do on a variety of different mechanisms. But there may be a limited number of cases where you do have to enforce that, as it were. And that's always been mm -hmm. the way. So it's there as a last resort for on Garda Shikon, and they apply it using the rules of international law. I guess what I'm getting at here is that it might be seen with what has been dubbed a crackdown or a clampdown now with regards our immigration policy. That is it reacting in the moment, coinciding with greater voter interest on this, or is it considered decision-making? And does this lead to a sound policy? It is considered, and it is based on a variety of factors, one of which is that we do, we're under real pressure. We, having provided... 100,000 accommodation for 100,000 people having difficulty in getting additional accommodation. We do have to manage it. We have changed the rules in terms of people coming from Ukraine uh, and also people coming from international protection, recognising the reality. Do you think this decision could have been made sooner then regarding these uh, newly uh, defined safe countries, well, charter flights and department. the issue of enforcement, which has come in for criticism? That's the Department of Justice doing their job and, and they've obviously had to do it in a way where they had to make sure it was in line with international law. So I don't know, I, I don't have any evidence that they could have done it quicker, but it was done for good reason. Mm -hmm. And it's done as part of a range of measures. We're going to have to change. We are going to have to move towards a system where the state provides more medium to long-term accommodation rather than always looking for emergency accommodation. We're going to have to also explain to our people why in our country, especially, we, we do stand up for international law. We stand up for human rights. Right. And explaining that, I think, is an important part of giving our people confidence that we can do this in a way that protects the rights of those people coming and also strengthens our communities. Let's talk what's within the Greens brief. Uh, Minister Rodrigo Gorman has the integration portfolio. Is he getting enough support from your cabinet colleagues? He is. It's, it's kind of unprecedented because it's very hard 
no one, if someone said two, three years ago that you were going to have to accommodate 100,000 people in a country where we all know the accommodation is in short supply, that's an incredible achievement, really difficult one. Because we have heard that a, a lack of interdepartmental support to Roderick O'Gorman. You say he, he has all the support he needs. And we'll have to give him more. We're, we're going to so have is that to. a concession that there isn't uh, no, uh, the entire, enough support there? The entire, like we recognise you have to, we, we have to meet a challenge. And we are in a particularly difficult situation at the moment. We don't have the accommodation we would want to provide and we have to provide more. And that will require an all-of-government response. But I'm confident we can do that. We've worked very well collectively as government through real challenges, mm -hmm. through COVID, through the cost of living crisis, which we were able to manage. And similarly, we will be able to do the same when okay. it comes to managing I, I, and I'm, asked, I'm asking you this because we had Dr. Catherine Day, chair of the expert advisory group to Roger Gorman, on this programme last night saying it was not a government uh, priority and that the minister was essentially isolated, that Roger Gorman um, did not have enough support from other departments and they needed to step up in this regard. For example, the Department of Housing has architects, has planners, as does the OPW. And this is what the Department of Integration needs now, if it's going to build those big state-run reception centres that you're talking about. So yeah. there's going to be a change in, in the departmental support given yeah, to the minister. To, there will have to be, but not a change in the sense that didn't exist before. If you look at the Department of Education in terms of providing the school places, for the tens of thousands of children who've come to the country. In my own department, like we provided on bus public transport services for the, for, for the uh, uh, centres. And yes, we're going to have to provide more both financial support and accommodation, and we're going to have to work collectively on that. Because there's a real urgency uh, to do this and to, uh, you know, perhaps fast track planning or otherwise in order to build these reception centres that you're talking about. Uh, but how soon will that be done? Is there, a, is there a, a realistic timeline on it from government? It'll take several years and it will and should start this year. Several years. So in the meantime, are we talking about then hotel accommodation? We're going to have to continue to use accommodation, accommodation. And then come back to what I was saying earlier on, we're going to have to make sure that we make our decisions quickly so that we are, we are we're able to manage the challenge we have, which I, is very real. When you talk about quick decisions, are you talking about quick decisions on freeing up hotel accommodation and other well, accommodation centres that are privately of, run. Lots of quicker decisions on, on applications. And uh, so that that's part of the equation and, and part of a way of which you can manage it, as well as increasing accommodation. We're going to have to do both. And are you worried about um, the political sensitivities and the protests around this that you're seeing? Yes, uh, because... Uh, our, our country is very strong. Our country has shown actually real incredible resilience in how we welcome to people. Mm. And I think that actually gives us strength. It gives us a sense of we, we can actually be good at this. We're, some, would we're, say, we're, some would say that is wavering and the polls would suggest it's an issue for people. Yeah, I think it is because it is difficult and people are fearful. But it's our job to manage that. And I think we got to help manage that. And I think we can. I think our country actually has a decency in the, in the end that will shine through. And, and, and it's, it's difficult for certain communities and you can understand concerns and you have to listen and work with communities and we will do that. We've set up a very effective community engagement team. Mm. So it's not that, I mean, you, you, you pay heed to what people are saying, but that doesn't mean you turn your back 
on basic human rights, which this country has always stood And again, for. that's something that um, Junior Minister Joe O'Brien is looking at. But are you rolling out an information campaign? Is that going to be, yeah, is that going is. to be built up in the meantime in order to try and, and quell protests? Is that, is that the government plan? I don't know if it's just, just to quell protests. It's also to actually have a common understanding of how does this work? What are our obligations and how do we manage it? So yes, I think you need really good communications as well as accommodation, as well as good Department of Justice systems. Okay, um, I want to talk about South Africa's taking its case against Israel for genocide to the International Court of Justice this month. And you said earlier this month that there are irrefutable points in their case. Do you stand by that? And do you believe that Ireland should support South Africa in their case? I do believe that there are irrefutable. Uh, when I see what the World Food Programme is saying about 400,000 people in Gaza at risk of starvation, to me, that's an irrefutable case that the ceasefire has to happen mm. now. You have to stop now. When I see the hospitals, universities, schools, houses being blown up, I see that as uncontroversible. And that's another reason why it has to stop now. So... Um, there is real, and the Irish government, more than any other government in Europe and most around the world, have consistently stood up for the rights of the Palestinian people, and we will continue to do that. Do in you believe of, what is happening is genocide? I think that's a really complex legal question, which we're going to have to assess in the court. The court is the one who has to assess that. We have to, first of all, and we have entered and intervened in previous court cases. Uh, supporting the Palestinian authorities mm. in the case we our Attorney General will be making an oral presentation next month in the court on the injustice that's been happening in the All West right. Bank as well. Secondly, similarly, we intervened in support of Ukraine against the accusation by Russia that Ukraine was engaged in genocide. Okay, so will, you be, will, will, will this government um, be supporting or should they support South Africa we're, we're, in this case? Well, we have clearly been supportive of the... Uh, of the case being raised, the exact what we have well, to do what, now, we, what, what has been the official line is this will be reviewed and that you will take yeah, because, legal advice from the Attorney General. We did have the Justice Minister Helen McEntee voicing her personal support for South Africa's challenge. Well, would would you would you be thinking well, firstly, similarly to Helen McEntee well, on firstly, this? Firstly, you have to remember we have a very we're a very small country. But actually, we have quite a large voice when it comes to protecting human rights and standing up for multilateral order. One of the reasons we have that is we do things properly. We do things by the law. All right. And the court here has to be treated with real respect. You don't just, it's not a PR campaign we're okay, engaging so with I the just, court. I, if I just finish okay. the point. What's really important, that the way this works, is South Africa now has to present their claim, case. They haven't presented the case yet then we assess their case and we then have to make a decision, do we support the points in law? And the points in law that you can intervene on are very specific. It's not like you can just go in as yeah. a, a supporter per se. Okay. We got more to... than a taster of it though, didn't we? I mean, and you said at that point that there are irrefutable points in their yes. case. So but, there yes, are irrefutable but points, but, but you are stopping your rights short to intervene, of, of supporting Your rights to intervene in the court are very specific. There's only two clauses or two articles within which you can intervene. 
The first is if you believe that the actions are causing actually harm to your country. Yeah, I, if I just finish the point, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about supporting as other yes, countries are is, doing. This is to understand the support comes when you make the legal case. That's the first way you can make legal case. That's the only way you're allowed. The second is if you believe that the definition of genocide itself needs to change under, under, under Article 63. Now, third point here is the court doesn't always accept an intervention. I think in the history of the court, there's only been 11 cases which have applied to intervene on, on that second grounds. And only three of those were accepted to be heard. So what you need to do, be very honest to come out, so we support this, we support that. What you need to do, if you're to be effective in, in protecting international human rights, including those of the Palestinian people, is your legal analysis has to be razor sharp and reasoned and thought through. It's not done on a... Um, just a whim or on a, a PR basis. It has to be done on a rigorous legal basis right. and that's what we will do. Okay, all right. Uh, the question is, uh, why are we travelling to the White House? This is the question that has been posed, meeting with the US President when his country is aiding and arming a country with a charge of genocide against it. You have a what do you say to that? As the teacher was saying in the headlines there, you have a chance to share mm. your views. and. and that surely is something you would not give up. Would the, would, would the Palestinian authorities want us to go to Washington? Arguably, sure Washington knows our views. No, but you sit down and listen and chat to people and that's actually, that does actually matter. That does actually influence how people understand you. In the privacy mm. of a room where you can, for quite a lengthy period of time, and sit down for lunch and actually share your thinking, that's an important, and that's what we do well. It's face to face, eye, eye to eye. That's what it's you're saying. There, you can have that conversation. Have, have we people. not been using the back channels to date in expressing our stance, which is known, uh, arguably globally now, um, that we very much back a ceasefire and we clearly have a close um, that, relationship that, with the US. That. They know that already. Yeah, yeah. We were one of the first countries to call for ceasefire. Yeah. And our European colleagues have since joined us. We were the first country yesterday, in fairness to the Tanishta, the day before yesterday, to say we would not be withdrawing our funding of UNRWA because of the controversy. And like that's what we do. We actually take quite a lead in some of these issues and we do it when we do it properly and well. Uh, more broadly, we got the full list today and I know that you're travelling to Brazil. There's a total of 38 representatives that will visit 86 cities in 48 countries mm. as part of all the St. Patrick's Day plans. That's a lot of air miles. Yeah, do you it think is. it's justifiable? I do. I think it's a, I think it's a valid question. I'm going to Brazil. Um, one of the reasons I'm involved in international climate negotiations, I'm chair of the International Energy Agency this year, and Brazil is a country that has huge influence just at this time. They're chairing the G20 later this year, and they're running the COP30 the year after. And I see it as part of my job is to use the influence we have through those international negotiations to, to go to Brazil and actually speak to the government, speak to their Minister of the Environment about what we, where we see the development of climate justice going. So I, I think it, it's a valid question, but I do believe we have to engage in that climate diplomacy. For me, in, that, in my role, that justifies me travelling, in my mind. OK, uh, and that's, uh, that's you travelling. But as I said, there are you know, 86 cities being visited by, by many representatives. So nonetheless, you believe uh, you know, everyone should attend to all their engagements globally. I think we're a small country that is open to the world. And I think as part of that, when you visit people in their country, that does, it, 
it does bring benefits. It does. It does. It, we we learn by going abroad, and we also other people learn about Ireland, and I think that helps. Okay, I want to ask you about the upcoming referendums, and your party is obviously advocating um, for a yes vote vote in both those uh, referendums around. Um, family and I suppose what's been dubbed the, the, the woman in the home um, referendum. There wasn't instant backing for a yes vote from the big NGOs uh, around, with concern around the wording um, in, in, in the care referendum, if you like, and the omission of the recommendation from the Citizens' Assembly, which was their recommendation, to extend the definition of care to the wider community. Are you concerned about that? And, you know, with what we hear as sort of... Uh, growing concern around the phrasing in, in, in both of those referendums, that it could be tight for government. Could be. I think it's a really important, they're two really important referendums. I think they're really critical. I think for two reasons. For the first one, to recognise every family, to recognise those in marriage, but those outside marriage. 42% of children last year, was it, who were born outside formal marriage arrangements. And all those families, they need to be recognised in our constitution. But secondly, the care that's done in the home, in raising children, in looking after people with disability, in, raising, in, in looking after adults, in older parents, that's important. And yes, the referendum does focus on that. Yes, it does focus on the family. It is about supporting and valuing families and supporting and valuing the care that they do. And government took a long time to consider that because we spent a lot of time thinking about the wording. And I do believe in that second referendum where we are committing, striving to deliver support for that caring role, which is so often forgotten about in so many budgets in my mind over the years. But there's plenty of carers not happy with it and there is quite a bit of pushback around it. Do you think it could pose a problem uh, for government in this critical year? Do you accept that? We provide significant support for caring role. Roderick O'Gorman as minister has halved the fees in creche, for example, as one example. But it is also important, in my mind, to recognise care in families, which is often unpaid, which is always unpaid. And because it's unpaid, because it's not part of the formal economy, because a parent in the home is not in the statistics or is not in the attention, they tend to be forgotten. And I are similarly people with disability and there's hundreds of thousands of families but right around the country. But all those people you're mentioning, Minister, there's a lot of people vocally saying that this referendum will not deliver for them. I it think simply it, will not. That uh, the word strive does not go far enough. It's much it stronger, lets the government it's, off it's the hook. It's much stronger than the previous wording. It's much stronger by definition in the dictionary. You look it up in terms, it says we have to vigorously attempt to support. It's not just a passive thing. It actually requires much greater ambition whoever's in government, into the future. And our constitution is an important document because it sets out our values. And what I think these two revolts about is valuing families, valuing those who look after people who are disabled, who might easily be forgotten about because it's done in the home. It's not on anyone's balance sheet. It's not on any um, statistic. But we all know how precious and important that is. So when people are voting yes, they're voting yes for the person who's dealing with a disabled child, or looking after an elderly relative. And people are voting yes in the first referendum. They're thinking of the person they know who might be a lone parent, or might be in a relationship that is different, but actually it's saying, do you know what? Your family is just as important as When you hear criticisms from all those people who say, no, it it doesn't deliver, actually, it doesn't go far enough at all, and they're very strong advocates for those minority groups and people who are caring for people with disabilities and others saying, this should be extended. We heard it right across the opposition as well, uh, around the wording 
Do, are you concerned about that? Yeah, you listen and you engage in a debate. We need a really good debate on this. I think the more actual contention there is in the next few weeks, the better. Because I think the biggest risk would be that people would be complacent and say, actually, listen, it's only wording, it doesn't matter. This referendum matters. People who are engaged in care in the home and families, they matter. And we need and to And you'll turn take up their concerns post-referendum? Before, during and after. Mm. Uh, it doesn't change what your, your desire to support those. But this referendum is important in terms of modernising our constitution, but also in my mind, it's a strengthening of the support for those who are caring in the home. And that is important. All right. OK, finally, look, we've mentioned it's the year of election. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And given uh, the Sinn Féin drop that we have seen in the polls, is there a sense now in government that an earlier election might be of benefit? I don't think so. I think my own sense is where this government is functioning well. It's a, in an unstable, very fearful world. It, listen, we, get, we, we have rows, you disagree, you make mistakes, but it's a government which is functioning. And I think we're delivering in terms of providing more housing, in terms of our emissions starting to reduce. So really, of, not before the year is out? I, I, Are you ruling well, it out? No, it's not my call. It'll be the Taoiseach's call. But my instinct is to go as long as we can because there's work to be done delivering for people and that's what, what we're going to do. Okay. Minister Eamon Ryan, we will leave it there. Thank you for joining us tonight. Coming up next, should Irish politicians boycott St. Patrick's Day at the White House? We discuss it further. Stay with us. Welcome back. Details of the St. Patrick's Day travel plans for government ministers have been published with senior figures being dispatched on a culture and trade offensive right around the globe, including New Zealand, China and the Americas. In all, 11 representatives are visiting the US, including the Taoiseach, who's scheduled for his traditional visit to the White House. However, Leo Varadkar was today forced to defend his trip, given Joe Biden's continued support for the Israeli military offensive in Gaza. This is what he had to say. I think the opportunity of going to the White House uh, is an opportunity for me as Taoiseach to uh, share the views of the Irish people uh, with the US president in relation to this matter. Um, and I don't see why we pass that up. Uh, we're one country out of 200 in the world. Uh, if we leave our seat empty, we're just not there and we just get ignored. Um, it might be different if we were a major economic or military power, but when a small country like Ireland leaves its seat empty, empty decides to be silent, um, somebody else just fills our slot. Uh, that's the truth of it. 
Well, should other politicians be joining him at the White House or should they take a stand over the war in Gaza? Joining me to discuss this are Sinn Féin TD for Cavan Monaghan, Matt Carthy, Labour Party TD for Dublin Bay North, Aon O'Reardon, and Hugh O'Connell, Deputy Political Editor with the Irish Independent. And you'll get to have your say with our live interactive poll tonight. We're asking who should represent Ireland at the White House on St. Patrick's Day, the Taoiseach only, all political parties or no politicians? You can vote online on virginmediatelevision.ie forward slash vote or follow the QR code on the screen. And we will bring you those poll results later on in the programme. Um, to come to you, uh, Hugh, on this issue, uh, there's often like the spotlight is on these St. Patrick's Day trips and events mm. and plans right around the globe and whether how, I suppose, how big the influence is and how important uh, these excursions are for government. It's a particular bone of contention this year, um, isn't it, given the war in Gaza and US support of Israel's war in contradiction to our own stance on that war, which is clearly calling for a ceasefire. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I can't remember, I suppose, a trip that has been sort of uh, had, has this sort of issue kind of overshadowing it. Now, there was when Donald Trump was president, obviously, uh, and the Kenny, the then Taoiseach, had said some choice uh, things about Donald Trump when he was a candidate and was confronted about that in the Oval Office. But, you know, this kind of major political, it's obviously it's, it's a war, but it's a major political issue arising out of that and the, and the various responses that differ between the US and, and Ireland and, and other European countries as well. Um, the Taoiseach will go to Washington with the expectation, I think, from Irish people that he will go into the Oval Office and he'll, he'll be very clear with Joe Biden about Ireland's position on this and the need for the United States to do more uh, to encourage Israel uh, to uh, agree to a ceasefire. Um, to what extent he pushes that issue remains to be seen. I mean, they will discuss it. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But to what extent is he going to push Joe Biden on that issue? I'm not entirely sure. Um, you know, the reality of the situation is, is that Ireland is the size of the country that we are. To get a, a an annual bilateral meeting with, with uh, the US president is, is seen as a significant mm -hmm. diplomatic coup. And we wouldn't necessarily spend, or, or the, the teaching of the day wouldn't necessarily be expected by the political uh, establishment, I guess, or by the civil servants to be in there berating the US president mm -hmm. about certain issues. But and the US the, president probably already knows Ireland's stance on the matter, yeah. I presume. Absolutely. The back channels yeah. are busy at work and well, that well, they hasn't are. done yeah, much good. They are. And I mean, you know, look, there's a, there's a, it's a huge Pandora's box, the US and, and Israel. But I mean, you know, the Biden administration, you know, Joe Biden didn't talk to Benjamin Netanyahu for, I think, about six weeks or two months even, I think, um, between sort of December and early January, um, early December, and, and, and uh, just only recently, I think they had a phone call. And that was evidence of a strained relations that the US has had with Israel over this issue because of the belief by the US that Israel needs to do more in terms of humanitarian assistance. But there's no doubt about it. Ireland's position is very, very different mm -hmm. from the US's position when it comes to the ceasefire. And the Taoiseach will be expected to raise that. To what extent he will, we wait and see. But he's definitely going to come under pressure, I think, from Irish journalists out there to, to, to say, exactly what he said to Joe Biden. All right. Um, Eon, uh, Labour has no issue with Leo Varadkar going to the White House. Well, if he was to decide not to go, we'd support that. Um, as I said today in the debate we had uh, in the Dole, asking ministers just to outline to the Irish people exactly what the Irish government are going to say. I mean, we're all incredibly unnerved by what's happening to international politics as a result of the conflict in Gaza. We've seen a moral collapse of the 
political system across mm-hmm. uh, Western democracies. We see the EU uh, cheerleading it. We've seen what happened in the UK. I am personally very, very critical uh, of Keir Starmer as Labour leader in the UK, mm-hmm. potentially the new Prime Minister, who I feel has not done enough. He's not called for a ceasefire, and it'd be very difficult for us in the uh, Irish Labour Party to accept a visit of Keir Starmer here, and I'm, I'm, I'm quite blunt about that. A lot of the conversations we have to have now are uncomfortable ones. And certainly in the US, these are this is the administration or this is the uh, political system that has always, you know, financed, weaponized, uh, and cheerled Israel. You don't think there is an opportunity uh, here for government to follow through on their words? And uh, well, look, obviously, you know, on the issue of supporting South Africa in the genocide case, they they have so far well, are I, rev- I, I, reviewing that matter. But on the broader issue of talking about investigating alleged war crimes, the call for a ceasefire and the criticism of US arming and, and aiding Israel in this war, it's, you you say it's, a, it's OK and it should not, that trip should not be boycotted despite these concerns. Well, I, I have all those concerns. And I said that if the Taoiseach was to decide that it wasn't fitting for him to go, then we would support that. Unfortunately, the Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, has had a, a number of, you know, incidents in America where he's made missteps and said wrong things. And I'd be worried that he'd do something similar this time. But it's one thing for a party of the centre-right who are governing the place to go to a reception in the White House in this context. It's another for a party like Sinn Féin to go. And I think in the Labour what, Party, we want to... What's your issue there? You know, if it's a case um, of taking an ethical stand, you, you don't think... You think that Sinn Féin shouldn't go, but the well, Taoiseach should? No, I, th- I think it's, as I say, we would support the SDLP's position. If you position yourself on the left, if you consider yourself to be a left-wing party, if you're standing uh, with the people of, of, of Palestine, uh, then to be at a drinks reception in the White House with those who are funding, weaponizing, and cheerleading this, it's not appropriate. Uh, but I can only assume uh, that Sinn Féin's uh, motivation is, is fundraising. Matt Carthy, I mean, what, what do you say to that? Are you, are you happy and comfortable with the Sinn Féin contingent heading over to the States? Those are two words I wouldn't use to describe this. First of all, Sinn Féin have a very proud record of activism and solidarity with the Palestinian people. We're known internationally for that position. I would argue that alongside the ANC and a number of other parties, Mm. um, we are seen as key um, 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 friends and supporters of the Palestinian cause for justice and and freedom. Um, We also, and we're unique in this, we have very close, long-established relationships within the United uh, States. They're built on primarily our links with Irish America, and they're crucially important. So what's the purpose of going so, this year? If, if you, if you, you know, you, as you say, you've taken that strong stance, Sinn Féin has taken that stance. Because we're taking that stance with us. We're not going to hide behind um, a, a, any opportunity that arises to actually advocate the Palestinian cause. In the first instance, and we make no bones about this, we go to America in the first instance for Irish interests. Can you imagine... What type of Brexit we would now be discussing were it not for the influence that was exerted by Irish political parties, including Sinn Féin, on the United States. So there is obviously a selfish rationale for going to the States. But there is also, in our view, an opportunity. And is it about fundraising? No, there is no fundraising um, aspect to 
the St. Patrick's Day settlements. No, so there's no, there's no lobbying no, for money for the party. Not a bit, there is no lobbying for the party. So do you leave in that the up United to Friends States. of Sinn Fein. Friends of Sinn Fein is a distinct organisation that. that does no fundraising. Okay, on so the you St. could Patrick's arguably you could arguably not go. What what would you say to Aon? No, well, here's, 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 as, here's, as heading along to drinks receptions. No, and I've heard the SCLP says something similar, and their position appears to be we're not going to go but we expect somebody else to go and represent Ireland. If I were to come into a panel show like this and say, well, actually, Sinn Féin aren't going to go, but we expect the Taoiseach to, um, to do so, then you know, people like you and yourself would quite rightly lambast. You'd, you'd describe it as cowardly. So you would, would expect thought, the Taoiseach to go? And, it, it, and what it, I do and expect, and what I do expect is this. I do expect the Taoiseach also to use the opportunities that will be available during those number of days in Washington when there is a, quite a substantial focus on Ireland and on Irish representatives to use that profile to advocate for a ceasefire and to advocate for a change in the US policy towards um, Israel and Palestine, which I agree is absolutely a business. All right. Um, uh, Aon, you know, Leo should go. In that case, should Michelle O'Neill be going? Well, that's an interesting point because, you know, again, as the First Minister of the Northern Assembly, which we hope is going to be reconstituted soon, um, she has a diplomatic role, and I think that's uh, that's, that's is arguable. But that's not. But she, she, that's a party of the left, and you said parties of the left well, shouldn't go. Look, I mean, I'm trying to be fair here. And I mean, I mean Sinn Fein. I You're be, saying Sinn Fein shouldn't but go. But again, but Michelle O'Neill does not position herself as a centre-right politician. Leo Radcliffe does. Um, I mean, exactly. Yeah. And your point was that well, parties my, my of the left shouldn't, it would be a very shouldn't go. If, if you're on the left in Ireland and you believe in the Palestinian cause and you think that what's happening in front of our eyes is evil and a genocide, then that comes before anything. And I am convinced that Sinn Féin just don't want to alienate their Irish-American uh, fundraising lobby. So and, are, you saying, are you saying as the North's First Minister, Michelle O'Neill shouldn't go, but it's I, OK for Leo Varadkar to go? Because no, I don't think it's OK for anybody to go. But OK, but you're, you're, no, you're not let, taking... Let, in let fairness, the Labour I, Party came out in the plinth today and took exception to Sinn Féin I do heading along. Because I think because... Sinn Féin have decided that, you know, as we have said, the Israeli ambassador needs to be expelled. We need to break off diplomatic links here, there and everywhere. That's fine. But yet, you know, please don't interrupt our fundraising drive in, in the States. The Friends of Sinn Féin raised $1 million in 2022. They have their golf classics. They have their $1,000 a plate meals. This is the Galway tent on tour. So this is the type of politics that friends of Sinn Féin are involved in. And, you know, the White House is the place where to have a word in the ear uh, of somebody okay, who wants... So you're wants, saying it is about that? It is absolutely that. It is, about money. It is about it's money. not so about there's Palestine. A number, there's, a, there, there's a number of accusations that Aon has thrown out there, most of which don't even warrant a response because they're, quite frankly, pathetic. I won't take lectures on principle from the Irish Labour Party, I have to, to is, say, above, above all. The Irish Central but, sorry, let, in let, the let, Irish let me, let me, let me say this. I won't have anybody question our passion and commitment to the Palestinian cause and our determination to do whatever is within our gift to try and advance the cause for a ceasefire in the first instance and uh, an independent Palestinian state in the medium term. So for those of us of that, of that position, when we're looking at issues such as visits to the United States and all, and all the rest, we have to ask ourselves, what is the most effective way of raising those issues? Is it by staying at home? I don't believe it is. Is it by using the access, and I don't want to overinflate what the level of access or influence is, but there is some access and there is some influence. And my view meeting? is that we have a responsibility to meeting? use all of that. So 
Um, a, part, a number of our party leadership figures, Mary Lou MacDonald and Michelle O'Neill principally, will be in Washington for a number of days. We will meet several members of Congress, including members of Congress who are, are on the right side of this issue. Because here's the other dynamic, which is different than in previous times. For the first time ever, there is internal US um, um, campaigns and quite an amount of support for the US administration to change position. That's coming from within the United States. I think it is really valuable if people who have access to the White House, who are considered friends of the administration, are also setting out very clearly that the US position on this right. issue is absolutely wrong, that it needs to change, that they have facilitated and allowed Israel to get to the point All where right. they can ignore international okay. law and international humanitarian All right, law. let's go back to our interactive poll. Tonight's question was, who should... Uh, represent Ireland at the White House on St. Patrick's Day. We will have that result um, shortly. Uh, we anticipate it soon. But Hugh, look, just to, to uh, I, I suppose, get your, your take on all yeah. of this, you don't have an issue um, with, with Sinn Féin going. Do you think this is political point scoring by Labour? Well, what, what I'm really struck by is the confusion, I think, around all this. I'm not quite sure of what Labour's position is, Aon. Um, you know, well, do you want to just remind you? Well, <laughs> try again, yeah. Okay, uh, we believe that this is a genocide on our watch. Absolutely. And evil on sure. our watch yeah. is being funded, yeah. cheerled by the White House. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. I have, I don't want the T-shirt to go, <clears throat> um, but I can understand his position. he's going? I accept that he's going because yeah. he's a, of a centre-right yeah, yeah, disposition yeah. and he's not pretending that he isn't. Okay. But I do have a difficulty with those who come into Leinster House wearing Palestinian mm -hmm. scarves will still go to a drinks reception in the White House. I have okay. a difficulty with that. I okay. think that's perfectly clear. All right. I think what's interesting is what the Palestinian ambassador to Ireland said today, I think, to several news outlets, including my own, that she respects the decisions of both the government and Sinn Féin to go and that she would expect that they would raise um, the, the cause of, of the Palestinians in these meetings. Um, so I think that's interesting. It's an interesting take on it. Ultimately, she is a representative of the Palestinian people in this country, and she thinks it's right for that level of engagement to take place. All right, so well, let's go back. She didn't call on people to go. She said if they were going, she would expect the Palestinian cause to be raised. Sure. All right. Yeah, but it's been, but, it's been presented. So the question is, okay. which is, no, which is I don't think any conflict in. was ever like, solved necessarily Jens, by, I want by to get boycott the and not the talking in. to the other side. Uh, tonight's what? question was, and we can bring you the answer now, who should represent Ireland at the White House on St. Patrick's Day? 38% said the Taoiseach only. 14% um, said all political parties. And 48% of you tonight said no politician should go at all. What do you have to say to that, Matt? I'm not surprised. The Irish people are... Um absolutely appalled by what they're seeing and they're appalled by the position of the United States in 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 all of this and you know so I'm not I'm not surprised that passions are high and the people have a very strong position what I'm saying is as a political party we have an obligation okay. to say how can we affect change in this issue and it's not as I say to overstate but we so. have to use whatever influence we have to try and Sorry. raise this, these matters I'm afraid, we'll, for I'm afraid we have to leave it there we are out of time on this uh, after the break power sharing is said to return to the north after two years do stay with us Power sharing is set to return to the north after the DUP decided to back a UK government deal overnight. The breakthrough could see Stormont back up and running. As early as this week, the Democratic Unionist Party pulled out almost two years ago in protest over post-Brexit trading arrangements. Well, today that boycott was uh, finally dropped.
The package of measures in totality does provide a basis for our party to nominate members to the Northern Ireland Executive, thus seeing the restoration of the locally elected institutions. Well, joining us down the line from Belfast is political commentator Sarah Creighton. Uh, Sarah, you wrote a piece uh, in The Guardian today. The DUP is celebrating this breakthrough. It should be apologising for the lives it has ruined. Uh, from a unionist, and you're coming from a unionist perspective on this, Sarah. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, what, what's your take on, on what's happened now? People would say it is a breakthrough. It's a milestone after, after two years and that maybe that should be applauded to a point. Um, I don't think it should be applauded. Um, the fact is that the DUP will not admit this, but the, the Irish Sea border only exists because, in part, because they backed a hard Brexit and because the Tories backed a hard Brexit. Um, this is the consequences of that decision. I don't blame them entirely for it because, obviously, they, they were quite openly they didn't want it. But by backing that hard Brexit, that comes in for its existence. They didn't have to boycott the Assembly. They could have gone back into government and they could have tried and protested the protocol through the mechanisms within the protocol, things like the Joint Committee. And they could have used their soft power that way. And as a result of the boycott, people's lives have been ruined, as I say in my piece. And people's lives have been destroyed because of the decisions. And the reason why I said that is because the because the Stormont collapse, uh, the Secretary of State decided to make a decision to withdraw funding from community groups across Northern Ireland. There were budget cuts made to departments, which meant that there were cuts to grants um, and money for deprived communities from children from low-income backgrounds. Um, one example I can give you is for claimants on benefits uh, for who are renting from a private landlord. There's a top-up payment you can get to help you with your rent. That was cut and thousands of people lost access to that payment. People have become homeless as a result of that. So I don't think they should be applauded for this. It was completely unnecessary. Um, well, obviously, look, yes, it's great to see the institutions back up and running. This did not need to happen. And therefore, I don't think they deserve a pat on the back for this. Uh, do, you, do you believe, is there confidence among people that it will stay up and running? We've seen this happen before and then very quickly fall apart again. Um, I don't think so. I think if you, if you talk to the average person on the street, I think they'll probably be very cynical about the future of the institutions um, within uh, the Northern Ireland Assembly mechanisms. Either party, the Sinn Féin or the DEP, can bring down the Assembly um, if they choose to, and that rule remains in place. So the next time something happens, the next time either party takes issue with something, they have that option to bring down the institutions. So unless that is reformed, um, this could, could happen again. But um, Fundamentally, though, you, you cannot have a functioning assembly and devolution in Northern Ireland as long as we have a situation where both communities feel alienated, do not trust each other or wary of each other. Um, people probably think I'm being a bit over negative, but the fact remains is that while I think most people in Northern Ireland are able to get on with each other and live together, the fact that there are so many fundamental problems that remain at the heart of our society that just have not been addressed since the Good Friday Agreement. And I think until you do address them, issues like legacy, for instance, um, the potential for collapse and further disruption is always going to be there. All right. OK, let's briefly bring our panel in and McCarthy on this. Do you, do you believe this is a done deal, first off? Nothing, I mean, nothing's ever a, a done deal when it comes to the DUP until it is so. But I'm hopeful at this point, I think, um, Jeffrey Donaldson's language today was fairly emphatic and um, I, I would absolutely hope that the um, executive and the assembly is up and running very quickly, okay. um, preferably this week, certainly before the 8th of February um, deadline. Um, Sarah's correct on one thing, you know, huge damage has been done to 
public finances, public services. We've seen public sector workers uh, out on out mm. on strike. Um, you know, while I'm excited in many respects of the prospect of Michelle O'Neill as being first minister and Sinn Féin MLA is getting an opportunity um, to to get back into the work in that in that fora. I'm also aware that there's going to be huge challenges for the executive. Um, not least because you know, the British government has essentially been underfunding the North for quite a number mm. of years now and the North doesn't have any revenue raising potential or capacity. Yeah. And so there will be lots of challenges ahead, but what I would hope is that all parties actually get focus on yeah. the issues that are, that are clearly there within our public right. services uh, in the North. Interesting, Hugh. It sounds like they will be really going from a standing start. Um, you know, it's a big, it's a big, it's an uphill challenge, isn't it? Given yeah, the problems that they're facing, absolutely, and public yeah. discontent that's there. I mean, the public discontent has been palpable for the last two years with the fact that there's been no uh, functioning uh, executive in Northern Ireland. So there'll be a huge expectation that this executive is going to deliver when it comes to uh, power, uh, when it comes to making sure Northern Ireland works and makes the best of the Windsor framework, which you know, in some quarters, is viewed as the best of both worlds. Okay, we will get more detail on that deal, of course, tomorrow, but that's all we have time for tonight. Uh, You'll find our show on all major platforms and our podcast too. We will leave it there for now. From all the late team here, good night. Take care. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.